0: So good to be with everybody today. We are continuing this series called Spirit-Filled Fruit. How many of you guys are enjoying this series? I I really am enjoying this and being able to teach on this. And uh, it's been such a blessing just to hear all that God is doing in people. And so we're in Galatians chapter five and verse 22 and 23. Famous passage of scripture says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. We've covered all of those so far. If you missed them, go back and check it out. Gentleness is this weekend. Self-control will hit later on. Against such things, there is no law. Now gentleness, whenever I knew we were gonna be talking about this, gentleness was a little bit, honestly, a little bit of a mystery to me because I don't think I have ever personally heard a message, a full message preached on the topic of gentleness. And I, I don't know why that is, but I just haven't. And so I think it's tough for us to grasp because we tend to think of gentleness more as a personality trait than as a manifestation of the work of the Spirit in us. And so we, because of that, we tend to think that this idea of gentleness is probably just for some people, but not for all people who are believers. But I'm telling you, if it's one of the fruit of the Spirit or it's part of the fruit of the Spirit, then that means gentleness is for every single one of us as believers. And it becomes easy for us to justify it's not for me. Why is that? Well, how many of you guys know that sometimes people are just difficult? You ever know difficult people? Anybody have some difficult people, right? So it's easy to kind of justify that. Do you ever have people in your life that you seem to walk around? It's like you're walking around on eggshells every time you're around them. Oh, man, don't you just love that, right? Don't you just love that? And it's like, because of that, we, we, we tend to think after a while, it's like, well, that's not the way it should be. And so you're just going to just have to deal with me, right? This is just me. Deal with me. Here I am, right? And to some degree, maybe that's necessary, But because of that, again, I think because people are difficult to deal with, we tend to look at gentleness as a personality trait rather than a manifestation of the work of the Spirit in us. So so a lot of us identify with this statement that Frederick the Great said. He said, the more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. (laughs) A lot of amens going on, okay? You really need this message. All right, let's keep going. Well, another reason why we need this message is because Matthew chapter eight or chapter 11, excuse me, verse 29, Jesus says, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now this is Jesus talking. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. How you guys know we're supposed to be like Jesus, right? And here Jesus says that he is gentle. Now what tends to happen is when, when we read a passage like this is we tr- tend to drift into this picture of Jesus as just like he's just a really nice guy, who taught us some really nice things, and he you know just kind of hung around and just snuggled lambs all day, like that's kind of the picture we have of Jesus. Have you guys have even seen pictures of Jesus, right? Those are not actual photos, by the way. Those, that's not how it all happened. but we tend to think of Jesus that way, and the world would love for us to tend to, you know, to think of Jesus as just a really nice guy who taught some really nice things, but in effect, he was kind of an inconsequential irrelevant Jesus. And because we kind of drift that way with our picture of Jesus, when we think of gentle Jesus, then we also drift that way when we think of gentleness as a topic in our own life. And we begin to think that gentleness is something that it's good, but it's not quite what we need to get the job done in real life. I guess know what I'm talking about. Like it really doesn't have teeth. It kind of smooths over injustice at times. And so why would we employ gentleness if it's just not really going to deal with the real issues of life? Why would we need gentleness if it's really just kind of weak and ineffective? And so we have to understand that biblical gentleness, it's not codependent, unhealthy, sweep everything under the rug type of uh, thing. It's much different than that. And so biblical gentleness is for every single believer. And so we need to get a hold of what this actually is. How many of you guys could just admit maybe we need a little bit more robust understanding of the word gentleness and what it is. And so Those of us who are wrestling with this and thinking, maybe this is not for me, I just want to give you some thoughts on gentleness, on what it is, and how it it can be applied in our life that I believe is really going to help us out. So the first thing we have to understand about gentleness is this. Gentleness is not weakness, but strength under control. So those of us who, you know, we're like, man, we got, I got a strong, you know, personality or a strong gifting or whatever label you want to say that kind of pushes you away from gentleness. Here's what you have to understand. Gentleness is not weakness, but strength under control. In 1993, I was 15 years old and we, uh, my family was, uh, we were missionaries to into Mexico and we found ourselves one day in Tampico, Mexico on the ranch, this huge sprawling ranch of this cable TV owner in Mexico. I know it sounds really strange. The whole ranch was powered by generators that had to be shut down at a certain time at night. I mean, they were they cat- it was like a movie. I mean, as a 15-year-old boy who w- grew up watching Westerns and John Wayne, this was like our moment, right? These people were like, I mean, it was crazy. They had their own runway for an airplane to come in and, you know, thatched roof. I mean, it's just out of a movie, And they just told us, they said, you guys can just go ride the horses, you know, whenever you want and just go ride them around the ranch and round up cattle or whatever you want to do. And we're like, really? And so we just grabbed horses, no saddles or anything, just jumped on them and just started riding up through these mountains and stuff. I mean, it was was really quite dangerous. (laughs) But as a boy, we were like loving the adventure. How many of you would just love to do something like that? I mean, it was awesome, right? Totally reckless, but awesome. But how do you guys know, even though that can seem kind of dangerous and, you know, some of us are kind of like, well, what were the parents thinking? Where were they at? You know, but if you take a horse and you train a horse and you put a saddle on a horse and you put a bit in a horse's mouth, what happens? You can take all of this enormous power that is, you know, in a, a horse And you can actually use it in such a way that produces good. And James talks about this in James chapter three, verse three. It says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue. It's a small member Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. How many of you guys have ever set forest fires with your tongue before, right? But the point is this, that there's enormous strength under control. Here's the picture that he's talking about. He uses this example of a ship and of a horse, and he uses the example of our tongue. Well, in the same way, that's a picture of gentleness, It's the enormous strength that God has put in us or that God wants to flow through us, but it's controlled in such a way that it brings honor and glory to Jesus. So we talk about speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth is strength. Love brings the gentleness into it. Enormous power under control. Sometime back realized, and, and those of you guys who've been around me, maybe you realize this a long time ago before I ever did, but I realized this as I was in staff meetings or ministry leader meetings or just really any gathering, that I would find myself dominating a conversation or overwhelming with my influence just simply by my, my personality or even my position and just kind of overwhelming a conversation. And I and For some reason, I suddenly became aware of this. Thank God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? And so I've been learning how to back that off and to walk in the way of gentleness to realize that just because I can doesn't mean that I should, and I need to allow the Holy Spirit to flow through. And so I spend a lot of time being quieter these days to try to focus and harness the power of the Holy Spirit working through me because when our power is out of control, We aren't leaning into the Holy Spirit. And so many of us, we come into situations and we kind of overwhelm it just with our own strength. Here's what I want you to know. God doesn't want to remove your strength. He wants to focus your strength. God doesn't want to remove it. He wants to focus. So here's the question. What takes more strength? What takes more strength? Saying whatever you want to say or guarding your tongue? How do you guys know guarding your tongue takes way more strength than just being a person who just says whatever you want to say? On the outside, it looks like a person who just says whatever they want is really strong. But in actuality, it takes way more strength to guard your tongue than to just let it fly. Right. What takes more strength? Being offended or forgiving a wrong? It, it takes a lot more strength to forgive a wrong than just to be offended. And so this idea of gentleness, is take, it's strength that's focused in the right way. It's God type of strength. What takes more strength, just writing people off or inviting people back in? It takes way more strength to invite people back in. So this idea of gentleness, how many of you guys know when you, whenever you guard your tongue, that's gentleness in action? Whenever you forgive somebody, that's gentleness in action. Whenever you invite somebody back in who maybe has pushed you away or you've pushed away in the past, how I many you guys know that's gentleness in action? But that's enormous strength in action as well, isn't it? It's not weakness. Gentleness is not weakness, it's strength under control. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See, the key to walking in gentleness is being under God's authority. See, when, when, you, when you are strong in God's strength, you can now walk in gentleness, right? Because it's not your strength, but it's God focusing strength through you. So we have to lay that foundation. And, and I, I say that because this is a buy-in for every single personality. This is a buy-in for every single background. This is a buy-in for all of us, that gentleness is something that all of us need to participate in, and the fruit of the Spirit can be developed in us. All right, the second thought is this. Gentleness seeks God's tone to bring out God's best in every situation. Have you ever thought about your tone? You know, one of the things, the scariest things you can do is like record your conversations around your spouse or your kids or something like that and then listen to it again. Because how many times do we drift into a tone that is unhelpful, that we've just gotten used to, that we just kind of, you know, and that's just a very practical thing. But tone communicates so much. And I don't want to just talk about volume or talk about sound. I'm talking about atmosphere as well. So gentleness, it seeks God's tone for every to bring out God's best in every situation. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. It says, A soft and gentle and thoughtful answer turns away wrath, but harsh and painful and careless words stir up anger. We don't even need a verse for this because how many of you guys have experienced that in real life, right? What is this talking about? It's talking about, well, there's a certain tone or atmosphere that's carried in the content of our words that produces certain types of fruit in our life. Think about how many relationships maybe have been destroyed by reckless and careless words, right? Or the tone that we carry about us. And so this is important. So if you want to walk in gentleness, it's about seeking God's tone and God's best in every situation. Now, Pastor Jimmy has, uh, Jimmy Evans has a lot to say about the power of our words. Let's hear from him right now. It's good stuff, let's watch.
1: Every good marriage is the product of many good words. And every bad marriage is the result of bad words or no, more, no words. You have to speak a lot of good words to create a good marriage, but well, you fell in love because you said good things to each other. You always do. And so you, you're careful, you're patient, Uh, And you speak very premeditatedly to bring a right result. And when we secure the relationship and life happens, many times we get into some bad habits and things like that. But the words that we speak create our home. You know, God created the world with his words and we create our world with our words. We really do. The atmosphere of our home is created by the words that we speak or don't speak and so when you find a loving home with a good intimate marriage you're just looking at a home where there's a lot of loving words that are spoken healthy communication positive communication but when you come into an angry environment or dysfunctional environment you have certain things that that are that are present and i want to talk about the five main roots of bad communication in marriage now we're going to talk about roots and fruits we're going to talk about the root issue but then because this root exists, how it manifests itself within our, our marriage so that we can be healed, so that we can change certain things and have functional communication. The number one root of negative communication in marriage is inequities and negative role models. Okay, now, We learn from our parents, you know, when little children are growing up, the recorder is going, you wish it weren't. Okay, But the recorder is going. We... Parents are the most profound influence on children. Period. Children are profoundly influenced by their parents. But when you're going through conflict, children are learning to go through conflict. When you're dealing with each other's differences or dealing with other people, they're they're listening to what you're saying. And we have a tendency to do what our parents did, even if you don't like it. My dad was a finger snapper, and when he got mad at us, you know, he would he called us little man, little man. My brothers and I call each other little man. His little man. I hated that. And when my dad snapped his fingers at me, I thought, you know, I hate getting, you know, a finger snapped at me. When our children were born, when Julie, our daughter, she was the firstborn and she did something one day and I went, hey, it just went off. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think about it. I didn't try to make it happen. It just, and I thought, what? You know, What are you doing here? And so here's the answer for iniquities and bad role models. When you, when you look into your past, maybe your recent past or your distant past, and you realize you have the, that iniquity, you recognize it. Another way to say this is, if I have a bad way of talking, where did this come from? How did I develop this?
0: I want to stop it right there because that's the question I really want us to wrestle with for just a second. Where, where did the culture, the atmosphere about you come from? You know, the Bible says in uh, Galatians chapter five, verse twenty five, the last scripture there, it says, if we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. What's it saying? It's saying keep in step with the spirit. Don't keep in step with your past. Don't keep in step with your personality. Don't keep in step with what your parents did. Keep in step with the spirit. And so a lot of us, we're keeping in step with something. It's like going on a hike. How many of you guys, hikers, we got any hikers in here? It's like going on a hike, right? Uh, Becca and I, when we go on a hike, we look at the estimated time it takes people to do it. And we go hike and then when we, we get done, we check and see if we beat it, right? How many of you guys are the type of people that whenever you go on a road trip, it tells you the estimated time and you look at that as time to beat, right? You guys are that type of people, right? That's me too. I try to watch it, but it still creeps up at times. But what happens is when I'm hiking with my family, what tends to happen is I'm a natural fast walker. And so if I'm not careful, I will hike so fast that I will leave them behind. See, the scripture is saying, walk in such a way that you are keeping in step with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit's culture. Not the culture of your house. not. And here's what I want to encourage everybody in. No matter what the culture is in your house right now or in your family or in your marriage or in your relationships, every single one of us have the power to influence it right now. Every single one of us, we have the power to influence it, to keep in step with the Spirit. But when we're talking about the topic of gentleness, what about those times when you have to say something really strong? Does that mean you can't say really strong things if we want to have the fruit of gentleness in our life? Well, the the answer is, it doesn't mean that you can't say something strong. It, It means that when you have to say something strong, it means that you are seeing the best for that person and that you're speaking it in a way that they can receive it. See, that's what gentleness is seeking God's tone to see God's best in every situation. Now, you guys, many of you guys are familiar with the story of, of David. King David, you know, he's the king, and he sees Bathsheba, and he, you know, takes her for his wife. She, you know, it was a wrong thing that he did, and then he tries to cover up for it, and he has her husband murdered, like he's in a, bit, you know, he's just one thing after the other. How many of you guys know that sin starts off small, but then just keeps growing the more you have to cover up for it, right? And that's where David finds himself. But he's at the point where his heart is hard and he's just gonna do what he wants to do. Why? Because he's king, right? But then God sends somebody into David's life, this prophet, Nathan. And I want you to watch how Nathan, he has to say something really strong to David, okay? He has to say something really strong, but watch the way that he does this. It says, so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. See, Nathan the prophet He had God's best in mind for David. He didn't want to confront David to try to condemn David. He wanted to confront David so that David would repent and be restored. And he also sought God on the way that he should confront David with a strong word. And God gave him this way. And so he tells David this story There were two men in a certain town, one was rich, one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle and the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought and he raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children and it ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup and he cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. And David, when he heard this story, he was furious. And he says, as surely as the Lord lives, he, he vowed any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man and the one he stole for having no pity. And then Nathan says to David, you're that guy. He said to say something really strong to David. But here's what Nathan did. He had the relational capital and the conversational strategy that he sought the Holy Spirit on exactly how to approach in the right way that would lead to healing. And the secret was Nathan's motivation for the other person. See, the way of gentleness, it doesn't mean you don't ever say something strong. It means that you have sought the Holy Spirit on the strategy of how to say it, And that you have a right motivation for the person at the end in mind as to even why you are saying it in the first place. So you have to say something really strong, but you can still be gentle in saying even a strong word. So the question is, are you seeking their good or your agenda? That could be, you might even say the same thing, but your motive could reveal everything. So gentleness sets the right tone for God possibilities to happen. Proverbs chapter 26, or 27 verse six, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful because they serve his hidden agenda. I wanna be the type of person that when a friend comes and tells me something strong, I can receive it because I know their motivation, right? And I wanna be the type of person that when I say something strong to somebody, they can receive it because they know that my heart is for them. I heard a story from a pastor that I follow. He went and spoke at a church and you know, did a couple services. The host pastor was taking him to the airport, getting ready to drop him off. And this is normally the time when he's grabbing the bags and they'd say, you know, hey, thanks for coming. You were a blessing to our church. We'll see you next time. But instead of that, the host pastor said to the visiting pastor as he's getting out, he says, I know what's getting ready to happen. He's like, you're getting ready to take your bags. You're gonna go into the airport. You're gonna go through security. You're gonna check your bags. You're gonna sit down. You're gonna get on the phone and you're gonna call your wife and you're gonna tell her two things that you know about our church that we don't. Because as a guest pastor coming in, he he would be able to see things that the host pastor could not see, even tensions between relationships, just because being new to an environment. And he said, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell me the two things we don't know. I guess that takes an enormous amount of courage, doesn't it? High level of trust, right? And so the visiting pastor said, well, you know, this takes a high level of trust to receive what I'm about to say. And he said, yes. And so he shared whatever the things were and he went on. "I I want you to understand, if we want to be good in this area of gentleness, then we have to also be good at receiving things without reacting. See, so many times when somebody has something strong and their motivation is pure and right, and maybe even they don't do it in exactly the right way, but their heart is for you, so many times when somebody tells us something that we need to hear in the gentlest way that they know, we end up punishing them for sharing. And So I've said this before, but if you really want to grow in this area, this is the hard, one of the hardest things to do is you find somebody that you trust, if you want to get good at receiving, you find somebody that you really trust, and you ask them this question: What is it about me that everyone else knows but no one is willing to say?" Have you guys know that takes a high level of trust, doesn't it? And then if you do that, which I've only had a handful of people that ever have let me know they've ever done this. But if you do that, whenever someone does share those one or two things that they know that you don't know, that you need to know, don't react, don't punish them for saying it. Just receive it and say, thank you. I'm going to pray about this. See, because if you can get good at receiving things in gentleness... Then the next time you have to speak out to somebody, even in a strong way, you're going to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, say, I know how hard it is to receive. And so I'm going to be very strategic in how I give. See, that's that's strength. That's not weakness to be gentle. How many you guys know it takes a lot of strength to be able to say something in such a way with the right motivation that somebody's going to be able to hear it and receive it instead of just saying whatever you want? See, gentleness is a lot of strength. But it's also seeking God's tone to see God's best in every situation. And so my wife, Beck is going to help me preach. Give her a big hand as she comes and preaches.
2: So my job this week is to give you a picture, to give you an analogy that is going to stick in your head like an annoying little song. You're welcome. Okay. So what I wanted to do was take a video and take you to my favorite part of my backyard. We have this tiny little strip of forest. It's maybe just like an acre. And it's beautiful. And I wanted to take you there per video, but I couldn't because I am convinced that every spider in the Northland makes his summer home in our forest. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of spiders. Every branch, every tree, spider webs everywhere, spiders everywhere. Hundreds and hundreds of tiny little spiders, and then a whole bunch of spiders that look like this. Okay, I don't know what this is, but it's huge and they're everywhere. And so keep that up just a second. So let's talk about does, does anyone else have a fear of spiders? Yes, yes. They are, look at that thing. I mean, that's, do you want to approach that? Do you want to go stand next to this thing? I don't think so, that some spiders bite. Some spiders are poisonous. Some spiders, well all spiders, create these webs that stick to you and you can't get them off. They're scary, look at that. So now, in this same area of our yard and then a little bit um, in front of the forest for two weeks every year, something else happens that's really magical. Now, let me back up a second. Part of the reason that I love going to the mountains with Sean is that you'll be hiking a long time and all of a sudden you'll turn a corner and there is this beautiful view that like captures you and takes your breath away and brings tears to my eyes anyway. And so for two weeks out of every year, my own backyard does this because fireflies come. And you might think, what's the big deal about a few fireflies? No, (laughs) this property, I don't know if it's just darker than every other property we've had. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of fireflies fill our backyard all the way up the trees It just looks like somebody strung thousands of Christmas lights and they're blinking and they're twinkling and they're floating along in the backyard And you know me and the girls have sometimes just walked amongst the fireflies, you know Like you're a princess or something and so I have no even though. I'm not a bug person. I have no problem at all being around fireflies and so, you know, a lot of you raised your hands just a second ago when you, that you're scared of spiders. And I think part of that is our own um, experiences with spiders. Like, I've had a few run-ins with that particular spider myself. But I think part of it is the reputation. If you think about some movies where spider, you know, the huge spiders are, oh, spiders crawling all over everybody. I mean, spiders have a bad reputation, I think, partly true. Um, fireflies don't. You know, you would not describe a spider as gentle, or at least I wouldn't, but I might describe a firefly as gentle. They're just floating along, you know, minding their own business. This is kind of silly, but think about this a second. Every conversation you're having with your coworkers, with your family, with your friends at school, it's creating an atmosphere around you, it's creating a culture around you. It's cre- everything is building kind of this invisible cloud around you. Is it a cloud of gentleness? Are you approachable? Do people feel like they can mess up around you? Do people feel like Sean was talking about that they can trust you to say something, not out of selfishness, but out of love? Every single opportunity, every single thing that happens is an opportunity to build that culture around us. And so, at the risk of sounding like a Sunday school teacher, are you a spider or are you a firefly? To your community, to your group of friends. I mean, it's so important, why else are we here? But to bring the kingdom of heaven here. To bring the kingdom of heaven here. To build that culture where you do have that relationship capital to speak into somebody, and then also to the people that don't know Jesus yet, right? They're watching you. They're watching the culture that you are building. And are you drawing them? Are you drawing them to yourself, drawing them to Jesus? And so I just want to encourage you, be that firefly, set God's tone so that God's possibilities can happen in those relationships.
1: Amen.
0: Amen. Third thing is this, Gentleness is only possible through God's grace. And if you don't understand God's grace, you can't give God's grace. Now, some of us think, well, I understand God's grace. Well, let's let's review God's grace for just a second, at least a part of it. Galatians chapter five, verse one, the very beginning of the chapter, it says, Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. He's saying something extremely important right now. He says, God, you know, Christ set you free, He gave you freedom, stand firm in the freedom that he gave you and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What's he referring to here? He's talking about going back to the way of the law and trying to essentially earn your way to God or earn your way uh, to be your own savior in a sense, or to sacrifice your way there rather than receiving God's grace. He's saying it this way. He's saying, you racked up a bunch of debt and then Jesus paid it off. So don't rack up a bunch of debt and then you try to pay it off now that you're in Christ. It's like, you know, like a credit card. Have you ever had a credit card that then you paid off the credit card and within a month or two you started putting stuff back on it again, right? It's like you just paid it off. It was just paid off. Don't start to, but Paul's saying something more important. He's saying you racked up a bunch of debt. Jesus paid it off. Don't rack up a bunch more and try to pay it off yourself. That's going back to the way of the law. That's a misunderstanding of God's grace. That's called legalism, right? So let me just give you a little test if maybe you've kind of drifted back into some legalism. You know that you've drifted back into some legalism when your efforts functionally replace the need for God's grace. In other words, when you mess up then all of a sudden your path back is through your effort. And we wouldn't say that, but functionally, that's how we live our life. Or another way to say it might be this, when you have a bunch of IOUs with God. Like we mess up, and then it's like, okay, I don't know if I can really get back into worship and worship like I used to until I make this right over here. Or God, I'm going to pay, I'll get back, I'll, pay, I'll make my way back there. I'm going to pray all this week. I'm going to read my Bible every day this week. And we begin to have a bunch of IOUs with God. See, we've somehow misunderstood God's grace and we've drifted back. Even though he set us free and he paid the debt, now functionally, it's our effort that is replacing God's grace. Or here's another way that is probably more common in those of us who have followed Jesus for a long time. Here it is you know that you've drifted into legalism when you start becoming a standard that everyone else should live by. This is really dangerous. And by the way, this is like one of the ultimate signs that you've drifted back into legalism. When all of a sudden we look around and it's like, well, their problem is they aren't doing what I'm doing. The problem isn't that they're not living like I am. The problem is they're not living a holy life like I, that is a classic trademark key that you have drifted back and functionally you're living in such a way that even though we would never say this, we have somehow now become the standard and we've replaced God's grace with our standard of conduct before God. And we now have become at least mostly the standard. We know that we are not there all the way, but we're certainly further than other people and since we're further ahead than other people, we use that as the measuring stick by which everyone else should live. Because there are more people who are below us than are above us. And so we have a misunderstanding of God's grace. And here's one of the key ways this happens. When external sins seem to carry more, disproportionately carry more weight than internal sins. So when we look at other people who seem to have a lot of external problems with their sin, like, oh man, they're addicted over here, or they're doing this over here, and it's very visible. Whenever you have people with external sins, and it all of a sudden it carries all of this weight, but yet envy and jealousy do not seem to carry the same weight. You've drifted. And certainly sins have different consequences, but all sin is sin, right? But see, what happens is we begin to disproportionately weight certain sins and become the, the judge. We, become, we begin to condemn. And when, you know you, when you've done that and the internal sins don't count as much as the external sins, you've drifted into legalism. And, and the reason I say this is because it's really hard to walk in gentleness with other people. It's really hard to love people when your heart is full of condemnation for people. Like when you walk around and you're like, man, they're not where I'm at. It's really hard to walk in gentleness. It's really hard to walk in love. And I've shared this before, but uh, I I love this because it really helped me out a lot. I heard this story about this Bible college professor who got up and he stood up in front of all of his students. And he said, 20% of what I'm going to teach you today is going to be wrong. And all of the Bible college students are like, what, why is he even teaching? Like 20, he's telling us 20%. He said, yeah, 20% of what I'm gonna teach you today is wrong. He said, the problem is, I don't know which 20%. Because how many of you guys know, we all think we're right. <laughs> and even theologically, those of you who've been following Jesus, we may think, okay, I don't know it all, but the part that I do know is Correct. Right. And so but here's the thing, the longer I've been following Jesus, it's like I can think back 20 years ago of stuff that I was 100 percent right about. And now here I am 20 years later and I'm like, I have changed a few things along the way. And it doesn't mean that the Bible has changed. Hopefully I've walked in community a little bit more. Hopefully I've studied a little bit deeper. Hopefully I've had a little bit more revelation. Right. Hopefully I've walked a little bit further. But it also, even though now, like honestly, I think, I'll just be true, honestly, I think the part that I do know, that's 100% right. But see, there's just enough of me now to realize what happened then, to know that 20 years from now, I'll be standing here going, ah, you weren't as right as what you thought, right? You know what this does? Is this allows me to walk in grace, even theologically with other people. It doesn't mean I don't hold true to what I believe God is saying right now. I'm gonna walk with it, but I'm also gonna just give grace to other people. And then I started to think about this in my relationships because I had situations where I, have you guys ever done this? Like you have a situation that went wrong or something like that and you go over in your head every single conversation to make sure you did everything just right and you replay it and you win every time, right? It's like, I was right every time, right? But I've done that honestly before God, and I've held it open before God on these really hard situations. I was like, God, I did. I mean, I'm, I don't know what I should have, I mean, I, I don't know what I should have done differently. And then God reminds me of this 20% thing. And he reminds me that even though right now I think I'm 100% right in every single thing that I did, there's probably at least 20% that I didn't do right. The problem is I don't know which 20%. And so this allows me to walk in a lot of grace for people because it doesn't mean that I don't stand firm and and think, you know what, as far as I, as much as it depends on me, however, I might have some blind spots. See, and if you can walk in that way, man, it's a whole lot easier to walk in gentleness towards other people. It's a whole lot easier to do that. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Uh, this this kind of came into play for me as we're, we're kind of winding down here, but this came into play for me last, I believe it was last Sunday after church. I'm driving home, I'm riding with my daughter, Lindsay, and we're just singing, we're having a good time. And as I'm driving home, there's, it's like a merge lane. I'm in the, the right lane here and somebody's in the merge lane and with, without any blinker being turned on, without any warning this person literally just cut within like an inch of my vehicle like just cut over and then just stayed there like really slow I mean like within an inch. and I'm just like I can't believe what's happening right have you guys have ever been there before I'm like what is going on and so I'm just driving and I'm expecting this person to give a little gap I even had to tap on my brakes and they're still like right there you know and so finally I mean we were in like a good mood and everything I wasn't really mad but I just kind of like threw up my hands like what's going on and then I saw this this lady in the car I could see the silhouette and she was like throwing up her hands like something was all like I did something wrong and so we went I, we went back to sing and I just tapped the brakes and and I was like man that was weird and so the next morning I'm driving in to church here and I'm driving and I'm like I'm replaying that situation. And I'm, have you guys ever done this? Like I I'm having a conversation about, man, if that lady pulled over, here's what I would have said. I would have proven seven points about why she was wrong. You didn't have the blinker. You merged into my lane. You were too close to me. You threw up your arms unnecessarily. Like I'm having this conversation over and over again with this lady. And I'm realizing that I have unforgiveness to this lady I've never met and never talked to in my whole life. And so right there on the way into church, I was like, I forgive this lady. I don't even know. I didn't even know it was a big deal, but here I am replaying it over and over again. And so I forgave her. And then I thought, man, if, if we have to forgive people who have never talked to or never met over something so small that will never happen again, how much more are the people around us that we live with every single day? How, how much harder is it for us to walk in gentleness? And so I really saw here at the end as the worship team comes back up, I wanna do something really simple because I believe that unforgiveness is really one of the biggest hindrances to be able to walk in God's grace towards other people, God's gentleness, and to be able to have God's desires for other people. And so would you guys just stand up with me as we get ready to close? And we're just gonna do a very simple thing. I'm not gonna take a long time with it, but I just wanna give you a moment to, to respond in this area because I really do believe that Gentleness requires God's grace towards other people and having an understanding of God's grace. And so right now, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? And let's just ask the Holy Spirit if, if there is anyone that we possibly might need to release or forgive or make an adjustment in our heart to, because it can be a hindrance to us walking in this fruit of the spirit of gentleness. Is there anyone in our life, maybe it's someone we've never met, maybe it's someone who's passed away, Maybe it's someone who we live with every single day. And for some of us, this is going to be a bigger topic. We're going to need to take it to our prayer uh, time during this week, and it's going to be kind of an overflow out of this service. For some of us, maybe it's a moment right now you can do just like I did and just release. So Holy Spirit, would you bring to our mind anyone that we need to release right now? Would you remind us of your grace towards us? so that we can give your grace towards others and walk in gentleness. Let me just remind you as you're going through this process, as you're thinking this through, forgiveness does not make the other person right. It just makes you free. Lord, we wanna walk in freedom. But right now, God, we make a decision to forgive. We make a decision to walk in your grace. And again, some of us are doing that right now, and we can do that right now in this moment. But others of you, it's much deeper, and I wanna encourage you to, to walk that out, to seek some prayer here in just a moment, to seek some counsel here in a moment if you've got a, something you need to walk through. But Lord, we receive your grace so that we can give your grace. We say, would you be strong and your strength be on display in us to do the things that are hard for us to do on our own? Maybe walk in gentleness towards other people. Or maybe we we be gentle like you were, that your motivation towards every person you encounter was for their best, for your best in them. Lord, help us to see the, seek the tone, your tone, for every situation, even in hard ones. And to put your grace on display. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship him in response one more time.